Hello and welcome to another podcast of Father and Joe. I am Joe Rocky, here with Father Boniface Hicks. And Father, I figure it's probably best if I just let you tell everyone where you're at and what's going on in your world right now. <laughs> well, we've had interesting connections from several places, Joe, as my ministry schedule takes me far and wide. I spent the first half of the month in China and doing some ministry with religious sisters from all over China who came to Beijing for a formation course. That was its own adventure. And then I went immediately from China to Hansville, Alabama. And our listeners may be familiar with EWTN, the television network that was founded by Mother Angelica. And after founding the television network, Mother Angelica, who was a poor Claire nun, I'll come back to that in a moment, but the poor Claire's are a cloistered religious community. And so once they had gotten things established with the television network in Irondale, they moved from Irondale to Hansville and built a magnificent convent, church, piazza, castle, retreat center. It's a marvel here. And I've been here for a week giving a retreat for the poor Claire nuns who live out a ministry of prayer and sacrifice hidden away in the cloister. Uh, it's really an, a remarkable vocation and something that we don't have too much encounter with. Probably the average Catholic would have no experience of cloistered religious orders, but the church considers them to be the beating heart of the church's life. And so just like we don't ever see our own heart. <laughs> if we did, we would be dead. But uh, the beating heart of the church are the cloistered religious who are um, tucked away and literally behind a grill, behind bars, as it were, uh, and behind walls. And just like our, our hearts behind a rib cage, that imagery uh, holds true in this case as well. And they pray and they sacrifice and they, their prayers and sacrifices their religious life really keeps everything going in the church. We unknowingly draw so much grace from, uh, from their lives. So anyway, they have a, like every religious, they have to have an annual retreat. Theirs is eight days and they bring a priest in to do that. And they, they asked me and I was privileged to spend these days with them, offering them some reflections, hoping to stimulate their prayer a little bit and encourage them in their vocation and help them to go deeper in their their union with the Lord and to live out their vocation in the church. So that's uh, that's been its own joy. But just to draw a couple of points out for our listeners, again, these are things that we don't necessarily have a lot of connection with, but they're a real faith. Uh, and I'd just like to mention three things, and then we can expand into other areas. But uh, one thing that the, the nuns do here inspired by Mother Angelica, who had a real devotion to the Mass and really saw the beauty of the our Roman rite in the Mass. And she wanted to restore some of the elements of, uh, of Latin and a, a traditional celebration of the Mass facing, we often say negatively, the priest with his back to the people. But of course, that's not the point at all. The point is the priest and the people together are facing the Lord. When a priest, when a person would lead uh, a procession, for example, if 
Uh, if you think of a tour guide who takes you through an unknown territory, the tour guide, at least part of the time, walks with his back to the people, not because he's turned his back on them, but because he needs to lead them forward into this, this new place. So the traditional posture in the Mass is similarly, the priest leads the people towards the Lord. And so anyway, that's one element of the, of the Mass that's retained here in Hansville. Uh, a lot of beautiful chant and uh, some Latin. The, the nuns who are hidden away, if you come to church here, you won't see them, you'll hear them. And they're kind of at a right angle to the altar and they maintain the monastic cloister. So they're, they're heard but not seen. And in that way, it, it leads us into the mystery of God. He, it's even hard to hear him, but we never see him. And we have to use our imagination a little bit. We have to look beyond what our senses are capable of. And so the nuns have a kind of livingness of that as they're tucked away, and yet they lead all of the music and their, their prayers uh, in the sanctuary, really. They're in the sanctuary without everything is taking place. So that's a, that's a beautiful witness. And then this church is just a wonder to behold, really so, beautiful statues, all of this gold, and then the, the nature of the church, because the nuns live on the other side of the altar, there's a, a, a big uh, reredos is what it's called, kind of a wall, which doesn't go all the way up the ceiling, is beautifully decorated, but it goes up quite high, several uh, 30, 30, 40 feet probably, and the nuns are on the other side of that wall most of the time when they pray the divine office, and then their whole living space and everything else, but the... Uh, that, that whole, and then up high, 30, 40 feet in the air, is a, a monstrance with the Blessed Sacrament, because these particular nuns have uh, a ministry of Eucharistic adoration. They are the poor clares of perpetual adoration, and they adore the Lord night and day, and that's part of the special ministry that they have. There are a lot of people who are ignoring him and some people who hate him, and so to kind of make up for that, if you will, the nuns are there adoring him day and night. And when they adore him, they pray for us. And they really call down graces from heaven for us, uh, for you and your marriage, Joe, and for me and my ministry. They pray in a special way for priests, knowing that I take care of you. So if they take care of me and I take care of you, we're all taken care of. Mm -hmm. And they, uh, they, their prayer is, is so beautiful and so powerful in that way. Um, so the, the Mass and the beautiful church and the whole setting here is really, uh, it's like a, a European uh, villa that has uh, just a, a huge open space. They actually have a castle here that they built for uh, there's a, the conference center and, uh, and a gift shop there. And it's really just a, a marvelous shrine that I, I really encourage our listeners to look into making a little pilgrim visit the Shrine of the Most Blessed Sacrament. There's also a Eucharistic center that's here that really explains the mystery of the Eucharist. And if you, uh, we're in the middle of the South, of course, the, the popula Catholic population of Alabama is only about 4%, I think. But in the middle of the Deep South, Mother Angelica made a foundation really directed by the Lord and the Holy Spirit and uh, wanted to also have a catechesis. So there's there are Bibles in the pews. I love that fact. In the church, mm -hmm. there are Bibles in the pews. Makes me feel like I'm in a good Protestant church, but it's not a Protestant church. It's a Catholic church, 
with a Catholic Bible with all of our Catholic books in it, but showing the Protestants, we love the scriptures as Catholics. They don't have a corner on that market. And then using the scriptures and looking at the, also the tradition of the teaching of the church, the Eucharistic Center explains for people the, the Blessed Sacrament, the mystery of the Eucharist. And so it's really, there's a catechetical dimension and a prayerful dimension uh, and, and plenty of pilgrims here and a lot of faith. So it's really been a blessed opportunity for me to, uh, to be here with the Poor Claire nuns. That's my primary mission here. But then I've encountered so many pilgrims. I talked to a woman yesterday, a woman and her husband, who just lost their 20-year-old son, just a, a disease. He had a hard time breathing. Eventually, uh, he died of a, of a disease, and they were heartbroken over that. And she came to the shrine to find some consolation, preparing their uh, burying him this morning. And so uh, just people of, of all different kinds. There's a whole group from Los Angeles who was here the whole time that I was here. And they also have a priest retreat center. So there was a Dominican missionary to Nigeria who's been there for 50 years who was here and, and telling his stories. Uh, a deacon, a Marian of the Immaculate Conception, preparing for his ordination. Just really the, the church in miniature. And that's what shrines do. It's a... Uh, such an important part of our faith to make those opportunities for pilgrimage. It's important for us, as you've emphasized from the beginning, Joe, and it stimulated our podcast to help people realize, be part of your parish, go to your parish church, go to the mass, make Jesus Christ the center of your life. That's what we need. And we need that living reality and that parish family and participation and uh, all of the ways that we can reach out to the people who aren't coming to mass, who live in our parish. And all of those dimensions of evangelization, but it's good for us also periodically, maybe it's once a year, maybe it's once every five or 10 years, but to make a pilgrimage, go to a shrine somewhere in the United States. There are plenty of them you can drive to or somewhere in the world and get out of your daily life in order to experience God in a new way together with other people who are devout in their faith and also seeking him intensely from our hearts. And we can have a, a real special experience that gives us something to bring home and breathe some life into our, our daily life, into our daily practice of the faith. So maybe some of our listeners will make a little trip. I, I'm not getting any cut from this. They don't give me any overflow from people who might come and, and make a a pilgrimage here in Hansville, Alabama, but uh, I do really recommend it from my own experience. Uh, a, a beautiful place. Sure, and that's you know w when you mentioned that um, obviously there's a bunch of things I want to go off of as a result, but off that last point you were talking about going to shrines and, and seeing just a disconnect from your everyday life, and I know that you're mentioning it more in the in the element of a retreat where you're blocking out uh, you know multiple days maybe even weeks to um to separate it but i've had it a couple of times in my life where granted it's only a day or so um that uh that that can happen and one of those for me is is the march for life you know the, that that whole you know you're separating you're going to dc you're you're turning off your normal life for at least that portion of time and you're there for a very specific purpose, which is, you know, to stop abortion. But it's also very, you know, the reason you're doing it is because of God behind it. And and went to the same or St. John Paul II shrine there, and 
in that there. And the other spot where I had it um, was Notre Dame. The whole campus just feels different than any other campus I've ever been on in my life. Um, and I've been on many Catholic campuses, um, many non-Catholic campuses too, but there's just something about what's going on over there in South Bend that is indescribable um, without, unless you've been there. And, uh, so anyway, those are, those are just the two that thought out of mind and the, and just the, the sense of, this is probably not the best analogy, but just a decompression, like a, like, like if you have a computer that you've been running for three years and you click the defrag button and you let that go for its whole process and how much better it will run, there's an element that happens to you there that, I know this isn't the best analogy, but there's a lot of similarities in the sense where just stuff that's built up, that has been built up so much that you didn't realize can dissipate. Um, you know, in in a similar way that happens, can happen at confession, but when you do it with a retreat, you're all, you're, it's a much deeper dive. And, and, and yeah, like I said, I, I think that that's something that's that's worth looking into. And the and uh, oh. just to reinforce what you're saying, Joe, and to follow up on that, I'm leading the nuns in a retreat, and there are some others who are making a retreat here. But a lot of people will come here just for a day, or maybe for a weekend, you know. And uh, you described it very beautifully with the March for Life or, or a trip out to Notre Dame. There's another. Um, there's a Marian shrine up in Wisconsin, uh, Our Lady of. Oh boy. Uh, that just slipped my mind, but it's a the only American approved American Marian apparition up in in Wisconsin. Uh, there's another. There's a beautiful shrine of Maximilian Kolbe in Chicago. If you're if you're towards that way, but just going for a day to some of these places, or even stringing a couple together, is a, is a beautiful experience. And the road trip that goes with it. You know, if you have to drive five or 10 or 15 hours. You have to spend the night somewhere, but the whole thing is focused on drawing closer to God. We like road tripping. And as a graduate of Penn state, I know so many people that will take a, you know, an RV and go out to Penn state for a football game for the weekend and tailgate and all of that. And that can be a wonderful experience at best and a very obvious experience. It was something about the experience, getting out of your normal space. And just, I love that analogy, defragging, you know, just uh, allowing the, all that kind of buildup in us to just clear out, getting some air and blowing the dust out, you know, just a kind of interior cleansing process that doesn't take place as well at home. It's harder to do at home we need if if the nuns who are praying hours and hours every day need a time of retreat surely the rest of us do Mm -hmm. sure (laughs) and so uh and like you said you know that retreat could be a a weekend five days eight days whatever there are even 30-day retreats in the ignatian style but it could just be a day you know just taking a day away or an overnight to go be somewhere else to be in a holy place to take time in prayer, and even to do that with others is uh, just a beautiful way to go deeper in our spiritual lives. Yeah, and, and quite frankly, just the element of of two thoughts there was first is if you have something on the calendar that's going to change your dispute, for the majority of us, that would be a vacation. You know, I don't got to go to work for a week. I get to go to the beach or whatever. 
and there's just this something that you're looking forward to it and it builds up its own type of excitement as a result of it you know the reason i'm going through all this is you know to to get to get to this little taste of retirement and i get it for a week right now um and i'm going to use it down you know away from work you know that's that's the point of retirement ultimately so this is so in a sense that that's a a little preview of that um, I'd imagine that the retreat element is is a similar effect in the fact that you're looking forward to 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 what's coming for afterwards in in, in that regards. So mm, I think nice. that that's a portion of it. And then the other part of it is there is something about a road trip that versus um, virtually every other form of transportation. That when you're stuck in a car with someone or a group of people, <laughs> um, you inherently start talking about things that you probably normally wouldn't have if you just came home from work and threw the TV mm-hmm. on. And, um, you know, I, just in my world, the March for Life was about three months after our marriage. And I thought that, you know, we had talked about pretty much everything important beforehand you know, during the four months of dating leading up to that. And, you know. For me, it's about a four, four and a half hour trip to D.C. both ways and all kinds of stuff that comes up uh, along that ways that, you know, it, it was mainly about us when preparing for how to live together and a house together and how the first three months had gone of us now living together. But just the, the, the learning of each other and how much better it and easier it ultimately made things rather than if we were to just play trial and error, um, just to take that essentially mandatory nine hours round trip that we had there uh, was incredibly beneficial. And I'd imagine it would be the same way if you had kids in the car, assuming you turned off your DVD player or whatever that's in the car to, uh, to actually have them have to, to talk about stuff. You know, I look back at, at mine, my childhood thinking about, you know, all the stuff that you'd randomly talk about that, normally wouldn't come up <laughs> driving all over the place. So uh, it, it, I think that that by itself, you, you know, is, is, is very, very positive in itself. And I can say the same from my own childhood, Joe, with, with a father in the Navy, we drove, we moved across country three times. So I drove across country three times when I was growing up twice in a camper, which gives you a little more freedom to move around. Mm-hmm. But we took a couple of weeks, and went through two different routes, the northern route, the southern route, and the last time in a car, but still took about 10 days and uh, drove straight across the the country. And I have such wonderful memories of those trips. It really brought me a lot closer to my my brother, my only sibling, and also to my parents. Just a lot of uh, love through some of the trials, and uh, but it also brings up topics of discussion and a way of being together that's really wonderful. And I know a couple of families in the Pittsburgh area who, for their family vacation, made a destination of uh, the, actually that shrine in Wisconsin and then hit a couple of the places along the way, a couple of beautiful churches and other holy places as they drove up to that shrine, that Marian shrine in Wisconsin. It's a wonderful thing to uh, think about for your family vacation. Uh, you, you stop some places along the way and the road trip happens, but have a holy destination. You know, we do do things for so many different secular destinations and those can be fine. You know, it can be great to visit the football hall of fame and 
Ohio or are we to, to go out to some other destinations, but you know, pick a holy destination sometime and see what a difference that makes. Yeah, yeah, and and I'd imagine that the benefits would start the same way as when you're looking forward to your vacation, when you know, whether it be going to Cedar Point or, or wherever, that you get this excitement building up. But I think that that would be obviously a different because you're you're going to a shrine and and more of a cognitive preparation that probably most people don't do. And, and I think that that by itself would be something that, that would be encouraged to all. I know that I get it every year as we start doing our preparations for for DC, going down to the March for Life. And um, it is, it's definitely... Definitely something that's worthwhile. So, like I said, I, I I would recommend it and having gone through there. But one of the things you started in the beginning is, as we're about pretty far into our cast here today, it was the cloister being the heartbeat of the faith. Yet it's never really, until today, been talked to me about or, or articulated to me in the way that, that you are there. And I wanted to see if you could take a couple minutes here to to kind of tell people what that is. Cause I think to some people that's just a brand new concept. Um, and obviously they're going out of their way to be out of view. So, um, so why don't we shed some light on, on that beautiful element? Thanks Joe. Yeah. It's, uh, we can talk about, uh, religious life in general and celibacy for the sake of the kingdom so all of us probably have the experience of priests who make a, a promise of celibacy. And then uh, probably most people, everybody's heard of nuns, at least. Uh, mm -hmm. Probably most people have had some kind of encounter with nuns or religious sisters who also make a, a promise of celibacy for the sake of the kingdom. And of course, that's my own life as a Benedictine and also as a priest. I I make two promises, as it were, of celibacy, as if one weren't enough, mm -hmm. and uh, to live for the sake of the kingdom. So that whole dimension of people who choose to live celibacy for the sake of the kingdom are pointing us toward something else. It's very clear in our scriptures and in our theology that marriage is a wonderful vocation. It's the original vocation from the Garden of Eden, and it's the way that we're meant to live out this life. And when Christ came, he elevated it to the level of a sacrament and, and raised it up to something even more beautiful. So you kind of live in marriage fully in this life. It's one of the wonderful goods of this life, uh, and also looking forward to a fulfillment in heaven. So there is a, a spiritual dimension, but there are some who have an exceptional vocation, meaning it's an exception to the norm, you have an exception of being called to live that life now that's already pointing to heaven. My life and the life of anybody else that makes a promise of celibacy simply doesn't make sense unless it's for the kingdom of heaven, unless it's pointing forward to what all of us will be experiencing in the resurrection of the body, in this intense personal relationship with God. So. Celibacy is already a step into something supernatural. It only makes sense in the light of faith. It didn't exist in the Old Testament. It really has been inaugurated. It's something new 
in the New Testament, newly given to us by Christ. But then there are some who live this religious life, who live celibacy for the sake of the kingdom in an even more intense and unique way of being radically hidden away. So there are uh, currently 13 poor Claire nuns here in Hansville, Alabama. In the Diocese of Pittsburgh, you have the wonderful Passionist nuns in Carrick, and there are about uh, eight or 10 of those. In almost every diocese, there's a convent of cloistered nuns that, again, they'll have a mass that you can go to, but often you won't even see them. You aren't able to see them. Sometimes they'll take visitors and you can see them, but there's still a, it's called a grill. It's basically uh, iron bars. You can't, I can't hug any of these nuns. I love hugging nuns. There's, they're wonderful huggers usually, but <laughs> these nuns are on the other side of a, of, a, of a grill. And so I can look at them and talk to them. And even that's a little bit unusual. A lot of the people that come never see them. They just hear them. Why do they get smuggled away like that? Well, for one thing, it gives a witness if you remember from the gospel, Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and worried about many things. Mary has chosen the better part, and it will not be taken from her. She has chosen the one thing necessary, is actually the word, the phrase he uses there. She's chosen the one, the, the one necessary thing. There are a lot of things that are optional in life. The one thing that's necessary is God. We need God. And so these nuns are a kind of radical demonstration that they're, they're really living for God alone. They're not living to create great works of art or create monuments of some sort or to uh, do all kinds of amazing things, compose uh, music or uh, build empires or build up businesses. They're not living for any of the things that we tend to live for. They're totally hidden away hidden with Christ in God, as St. Paul says in the letter to the Colossians. So they live this kind of radical devotion to the Lord that opens them up for uh, very sensitive graces, and it, it makes them uh, live really immersed in the mysteries of Christian faith. And then we get a lot of benefit from that in terms of the prayer that they offer. Again, it was St. Therese, who was herself a cloistered nun, who lived stowed away in a Carmelite monastery in Lisieux in France. And she had that insight of being the heart of the body of Christ, totally hidden inside. And yet our heart is so vital for the functioning of the body. If the heart stops, the body dies. Mm -hmm. And so she said, oh, I'm the heart in the body. That's what the cloistered nuns are. So having given just a little description of uh, cloistered nuns, and as I said, basically in every diocese, there is some convent uh, or of, of men or women, usually women, who are, who are cloistered nuns. We don't often know about them, but they're a treasure. And if you can find a way to be with them, usually you can join them for the Liturgy of the Hours. We have specific times that they offer morning prayer, midday prayer, evening prayer, and then you can usually join them for the mass. Again, you probably won't see them, but you can hear them, and you can usually submit prayer requests to them. The Passionist nuns in Pittsburgh answer their phone literally day and night, mm -hmm. and they receive so many prayer requests from so many people. I've also spent time with them and have seen their board where they hold all their prayer requests, and it's just covered 
with people's prayers reaching out to them. So um, just an encouragement for our listeners. Be aware of and pray for whoever the, the, the cloistered convent is in your diocese and maybe find out about them and uh, make a little pilgrimage there. It can be a wonderful place close to home where it's also close to heaven. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, on that note, you know, th- this has been a, a very full, full ca- a podcast here episode. So we thank everyone for listening here today. We do hope that you help us continue to spread the cast through the retweets, through the reviews that you've been giving us. Again, every one of those reviews that you leave does help us grow the cast to get it to more people. So we thank you all for being out there and we'll be here next week.